0: Exodus, we're going to study tonight the outer enclosure of the outer courts. Thank God for His awesome, awesome Word. We have already looked at, in Exodus 25, we have looked at the various contributions made by the people of the Lord in order to build the tabernacle of the Lord's. The title of the message last week was Christ, the true tabernacle. And tonight we're going to look at the outer enclosure. We won't go back to Exodus 25, but if you take time to read all of the various contributions that were made by the people of God to build the tabernacle, you will find that every kingdom contributed to the redemption of man. Every kingdom, the kingdom, the animal kingdom contributed to the redemption of man. The vegetable kingdom contributed to the redemption of man. The uh, animal, vegetable, mineral kingdom, gold, silver, etc., contributed to the redemption of man. And then man, who brought the offerings to God, contributed to the redemption of man. The reason is, is because when man fell in the garden, the whole world. The whole universe and the earth especially fell into a curse. And so when Jesus Christ, the true tabernacle, came into the world to redeem man, he also, uh, when he died on the cross, provided provision for the curse to be lifted off of the earth as well. Everything was affected. The animal kingdom, the mineral kingdom, uh, of course humanity, vegetable kingdom, was all affected by the fall of man. So when you look at this tabernacle, you will see that every kingdom contributed to the redemption of man. Let's go to Exodus chapter 27, beginning with verse 29. Tonight we will look at the camp. We will title this here tonight. The Christ of the camp. The Christ of the camp. Exodus 27, beginning with verse 9 you there say if you are say praise the Lord Amen. then Exodus chapter 35 is actually when it is set up so we will take time to read these texts but Exodus chapter 27 beginning with verse 9 uh, the Bible says thou shalt make the courts of the tabernacle for the south side southward there shall be hangings for the courts, of fine twine linen. Linen is of the vegetable kingdom. So it says the hangings will be of fine twine linen of a hundred cubits long for one side. And the twenty pillars thereof, their twenty sockets, shall be of brass. The hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. And likewise for the north side in length there shall be hangings of a hundred cubits long, and his twenty pillars and their twenty sockets of brass, the hooks of the pillars and their fillets of silver. And for the breadth of the court on the west side shall be hangings of fifty cubits, their pillars ten and their sockets ten, and the breadth of the court on the east side, eastward, shall be fifty cubits, the hangings of one side of the gate, shall be 15 cubits, their pillars three and their sockets three, and on the other side shall be hangings 15 cubits, their pillars three and their sockets three. And then he moves to the gate itself. And for the gate of the court uh, shall be a hanging of 20 cubits of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen, wrought with needlework, and their pillars shall be four. And their sockets, four. All the pillars round about the court shall be filleted uh, with silver. Their hooks shall be of silver, and their sockets of brass. The length of the court shall be a hundred cubits, and the breadth fifty everywhere, and the height five cubits of fine twine linen, and their sockets of brass. All the vessels of the tabernacle and all the service thereof and all the pins thereof and all the pins of the court shall be of brass. Okay, Exodus 35. Please turn there. Okay. Verse 17, Exodus 35, 17, the hangings of the court, his pillars and their sockets, and the hanging for the door of the court, the pins of the tabernacle and the pins of the courts and their courts, the cloths of service to do service, etc. On and on it goes. Okay, say amen. Okay, Exodus 38. Exodus 38, beginning with verse 9. He made the court on the south side southward. The hangings of the court were a fine twine linen, a hundred cubits. Their pillars were 20. Y'all following this? Okay. Their pillars were 20, their brass sockets, 20. The hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. That uh, word fillet could also be translated bands. Okay, I'll explain that to you. And for the north side, the hangings were 100 cubits. Their pillars were 20 and their sockets of brass, 20. The hooks of the pillars and their fillets were bands of silver. And for the west side were hangings of 50 cubits. Their pillars ten, their sockets ten, the hooks of the pillars, and their fillets of silver, and for the east side, eastward, fifty cubits. The hangings of the one side of the gate were fifteen cubits, their pillars three, and their sockets three. For the other side of this court gate, on this hand and on that hand were hangings of fifteen cubits, their pillars three, and their sockets three. All the hangings of the court round about were of fine twine linen, and the sockets for the pillars were of brass. The hooks of the pillars and their fillets or bands were silver. The overlaying of the uh, capitors. Now we find out here in this chapter that they had cats. Say cats. So we have something now a cap, and it says, of silver. And all the pillars of the court were filleted with silver or banded with silver. And the hanging of the gates of the court was needlework of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen, and 20 cubits was the length. And the height and the breadth was five cubits answerable to the hangings of the courts. And their pillars were four, and their sockets of brass four, their hooks of silver, and the overlaying of their uh, capitors, or caps, and thither fillets, or bands, of silver. And all the pins of the tabernacle and of the court round about were of brass. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy words. We thank you for your inspiration and your anointing upon us, God, to teach this word tonight and also to receive it as a congregation. We ask God that your will would be done in each and every one of our hearts and lives tonight as we draw close to you, Lord, the true tabernacle. We give you all glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Now, before we get into the... Outer enclosure, let me talk to you about the encampment. You're not going to be able to see this up here, but I will do my best to to get the words off of it first. I'm not very tall. Okay, there we go. Praise the Lord. All right, let me do this. Let me turn the light on so you can maybe see what I'm going to show you here. There's a better picture on the back wall there. If you want to, you can flip around and look at the back wall there because that is a larger version back there of what is up here. Now, what you will see is this is the outer enclosure right here. We'll get into that. We'll explain that to you tonight. But you have the encampment around the outer enclosure of God's people. Do you see that? Maybe you can see it better back there. I don't know. Now, the first thing I want to tell you is this was given by God at Mount Sinai right before they were fixing to make their journey. And so God wanted them to be in order as they traveled. Exodus 13, verse 18 reads this way. Brother Patrick will get it for me. Exodus 13, verse 18. You will not see it in the King James Version, but in other Bibles it tells you that they traveled five in a rank. Okay? So if you want to turn there as well and look at Exodus 13 and verse 18, uh, Brother Patrick will read that for us. Okay, do you see that? Say it again, the latter part. There you go. The children of Israel went up, what? Harnessed out of the land of Egypt. That word harness literally means they're in a rank. So it's a very orderly thing that God is doing as they are coming out of Egypt. They're coming out harnessed. They're coming out in ranks and other translations or the margin of other Bibles say they came out in fives. You with me so far? Now, when you look at Numbers chapter 2, you have a, a figure or a number that is given for the amount of men that marched out of Egypt. Okay? And these men were of the age, military age, fighting age, 20 years or above. The scripture tells you in Numbers chapter 2 that there were over 600,000 men of age to fight, 20. And that is not including the Levites, all right? Because the Levites were not accounted into the men of war because God wanted to keep them alive. He didn't want the Levites killed. So they were exempt from war so they could do the ministry of the tabernacle. So over 600,000 men, 20 years or above, not counting the Levites, not counting the women, not counting the men. Numbers 2 will give you that. Are you with me so far? So if we add the Levites to it, and then for Numbers' sake, and we add the women and the children to it, it is very easy to come up with a figure of two million people that marched out of the land of Egypt. Now, I don't know if we really can grasp how large of a group of people two million people are. Um, If you look at Odessa, Texas, the area of Odessa, Texas, the last... I heard, I'm sure my population figures are off, but the last I heard, we're in around the neighborhood of 100,000 people in Odessa, Texas. Maybe a little bit more now with the boom. 100,000 people. Look how much area, how much territory it takes to have 100,000 people. And obviously, there are businesses, et cetera, et cetera, in Odessa, Texas, so all the land mass is not taken up by people. But 100,000 people or so live in Odessa, Texas. 20, I mean 2 million people walked out of Egypt. So maybe that gives you an idea of how large these, this number of people were that came out of Egypt. It has been estimated that the camp of the people alone around the tabernacle would have been 60 miles long and 8 miles wide. Almost 500 square miles of space would have been needed to take care of 200 million people. That is a lot of people. And if they marched in five in a rank out of Egypt, the line, the distance here we're talking about of people in a line, would have been 230 miles long. Now you think about that, that's almost to El Paso, Texas. So a line from here, Odessa, Texas, almost all the way to El Paso, Texas, was how long the line was of these people that came out of Egypt. That is a lot of people. Amen. Well, then you run into the problem of how you're going to feed all of these people. Amen. Some of you run into the problem of feeding five. God's going to feed two million people. And He's going to do it. He's going to feed them by raining down manna, bread from heaven, which was cooked in angels' kitchens. Now, if you think about it, how much food would it take to feed two million people? How much manna? Well, I sat down and I did a little figuring. I was whole I wish Brother Timothy would have been with me that night, but I did a little figuring. And if you had one pound of food per person, two million people, one pound per person per day, you would have to have, are y'all ready for this? A thousand tons of food, a thousand tons of food every day to feed that amount of people. And it has been estimated by others that it would have taken two trains full to transport that amount of food. Are y'all awake tonight? Well, what about water? How, you know, you're going through a desert and you've got to make sure they have water. Well, God's going to provide water out of a rock. But how much water is going to be needed for two million people? You take one gallon of water per person, two million people. If you had a well flowing, 6,000 gallons per hour, 72,000 gallons in a 12-hour day, it would take 28 to 29 wells pumping 6,000 gallons of water per hour, 72,000 gallons of water per day, 28 to 29 wells continually flowing water, in order to have enough water for those people. Well, then you got to worry about cooking all the foods, and where are you going to get all the woods to cook the food with? I don't know where they got it, but I know they needed uh, food uh, or wood to cook the foods. Are y'all here? And if you gave each person two pounds of wood per day. Are y'all with me today? Are you awake? It would take over 200,000 tons of firewood to cook the food. Are y'all with me? So God did all of this. He supplied the food. He supplied the water. He supplied the wood, everything, to take care of that large of a people. What I'm trying to show you tonight is that when God does something, He does it in a big way. And if He can take care of two million people, and by the way, I didn't even add the animals into that, if He can take care of two million people, He can for sure take care of us. So we look at the camp of these people around the tabernacle, the largest of the camp, the amount of people that were there The first thing we need to look at is the way it was laid out because God does everything in an order. Number one, God is in the center of his people. He's the center of everything. What you will not see on this diagram or that diagram back there is that there were three families of the Levites, okay, that came from Levi, three families right around the edge of the tabernacle. You won't see that on the chart. Um, in the front of the outer court would have been Moses, Aaron, and Aaron's sons. Are y'all with me so far? So they would be the closest to the court. So you, in order to get to God, you had to have a Levite. You had to have a priest. And the Levites, each of them different than the other, had different responsibilities taking down the tabernacle, taking down the outer enclosure, moving the pieces of furniture, etc. Levites did the ministry of the service of the tabernacle. And so they are the closest to the outer enclosure, Moses, Aaron, and Aaron's sons, in the front of the gate right there on the east side. You all with me so far? Then, on the outside of the Levites, let's start with the, the gates area first. The tabernacle faced toward the east the gate of the tabernacle, the gate of the outer enclosure would have been facing this direction. The rear of it would have been to the west. So you would call the front part of the tabernacle and the outer enclosure facing east the face. You would call the back end of the tabernacle that's facing west, you would call it what? The rear. You all are extremely intelligent. Okay? Okay. So it's facing east, it's facing toward the sunrise. So that when the, light, when the sun comes up, the light will shine on the gate and show the beautiful colors right off, okay? So that's the direction of it. Now, facing east then, you would have had Moses, Aaron, and his sons, and in front of them, you would have had three tribes. This is given to you in Numbers chapter 2. I will not read it to you tonight but I'll just give it to you. You can see it in Numbers 2, okay? You would have had Judah, say Judah, and two other tribes. Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun were in the front parts of the outer enclosure. Now, why do you think God would put Judah in front? Enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving, and his courts with praise, okay? Okay? So when you approach God, you have to always approach Him with praise or with worship. There's a lot of people say, I went to church and I didn't feel God. You know why you didn't feel God? It's because you cannot come into the presence of God without Judah, which means praise. If you'll start worshiping God, if you'll start praising God, then you can come into the presence of the Lord. Okay, so God put Judah, Zebulun, and Issachar in the front part right there. and In Numbers chapter 2, it tells you around 185,000. You with me so far? Now, in Numbers chapter 2, it will also tell you that these tribes had a banner that they lifted up high. It was a flag, okay? Judah had a banner, and uh, the leader, the Bible names him in Numbers chapter 2, the leader would have had that banner lifted high above his tent. And that banner over Judah, Zebulun, and Issachar was the banner of a lion. Now you don't get that in the Bible. The Bible doesn't tell you what was on the banner. The Bible tells you who was the three three tribes together in the front. It tells you they had a banner that they lifted up. But it doesn't tell you what is on the banner. You have to go to Jewish or Hebrew studies history to find out what was on the banner of Judah. Every tribe had a banner. All of them did. But the three tribes, Judah, Zebulun, Issachar, Judah being the leader, they would walk, those three tribes would walk under that one banner and it was a lion. And it was, history says, or Hebrew teaching, Jewish, like for example, Jewish encyclopedias say, that that banner had a beautiful gold line on it with a scarlet field on the back. And when they went forward, they lifted that banner high, that standard high with the lion on it because Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. In fact, in Genesis 49, when we have the prophecy given there, the Bible says Judah is a lion's whelp. So even though the Bible doesn't tell us what was on the banner, uh, Jewish history and Jewish encyclopedias tell us it was a lion. That sounds absolutely correct. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. In Genesis 49, Judas called the lion's well. Saw a beautiful gold lion with a scarlet field or background on that banner. Say amen. amen. We go over to the south side, which is this side. If you're looking at it, this side. Because remember, the tabernacle faces east. On the south side, you had Gad, Simeon, and Aruban. Say Gad, Simeon, and Reuben. These three tribes marched under the banner of Reuben. As I said, each one of them had their own banner, but they marched under the banner of Reuben when they marched. And the banner of Reuben, Jewish history says, was the face of a man. And it was on gold. Either the face of the man was gold or the field that he was on was gold. And they marched through the wilderness with this banner lifted high, this standard lifted high with the face of a man upon that banner. You go around to the back side. You got Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin on the back side, 108,000 in number. And Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin had also a banner. And Jewish encyclopedias say that banner was the banner of an ox or a cat. Coming around over onto the uh, north side, you would have had Naphtali, Dan, and Asher. Say Dan. Naphtali, Dan, and Asher. Now, originally, if you look in Genesis 49, the Bible tells you that Dan is a serpent by the way. So originally, Dan's banner was a serpent. But uh, a descendant of Dan, let's go to Numbers 225, did not like having a banner with a serpent on it. Would you like to have a banner with a serpent on it? Identifying you? Numbers 225 says, The standard of the camp of Dan shall be on the north side by their armies, and the captain of the children of Dan shall be Ahazir, the son of, oh, that is a name, Amishaddai. You with me? So we have the name of the captain, Ahazir. This man, history says that Ahazir, the descendant of Dan, replaced the banner that was a serpent banner with an eagle banner. So that Dan walked under the eagle banner, the serpent eater. Because he didn't like, as I said, having a serpent to be the thing that identified him. So a descendant of Dan is given there in Numbers 225, changed that from a serpent to an eagle, a serpent killer, okay? So we have now gone all the way around. We know the banners. In the front, Judah, the lion. Over to the south side, Reuben, a man. On the back side, Ephraim, that is the ox. And on the north side, Dan, the banner was an eagle. And that eagle was on a beautiful blue field, history says. Now, they marched with these standards or these banners. Every time the Spirit of God would move, they would move. When he stopped, they stopped. And they would march. They would lift those banners high as they went through the wilderness. And as they went through the wilderness, with these banners lifted up, you will notice it was in the shape of a cross. So if you were to get in a plane, and you were to fly high above this encampment, you would see a huge cross going through the wilderness. Because, I mean, it's all a type and a shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ. They walked with those standards, those banners, and probably did not have any idea that what they were carrying was the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't realize what they were doing. When Judah lifted up that banner of the lion, the Bible says that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Are you all with me tonight? When Reuben lifted up that banner of the man, and Ephraim lifted that banner of the ox, and Dan lifted that banner of the eagle, they had no idea that they were carrying the gospels. Because Matthew presents Jesus as king. So we have Judah, the lion, seeing Matthew, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And then Mark presents Jesus as the sacrifice, the servant of the Lord, like an ox would be a sacrifice or a servant. Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. Reuben lifted up the man banner. And then John presents Jesus as God come in the flesh, the eagle banner. So Matthew the lion, Mark is the ox, Luke is the man, and John is the eagle banner. Do y'all understand that. So as they were walking through the wilderness in the shape of a cross, this huge encampment, they were lifting up the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, to everybody and everywhere they went, not even realizing that it was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was giving you a different face of the Lord's. He's the lion. He's the king. He's the perfect man. He is the ox or the one that would die for us, suffer and die. And he is the eagle, God come in the flesh. And so these banners would have been seen lifted high and standards lifted high. And this teaches us as well that you have to have a standard as a believer. You have to have a standard. We're living in a day right now where people don't want standards. This church is always going to have a standard as long as I'm pastor. Now you may end up getting another pastor and they may not have a standard, but I'm going to have a standard because a standard is biblical. You've got to have a standard. So they walked under that standard. But listen to me. There was nobody in Dan, Asher, or Naphtali that ever walked under Judas Banner. And nobody from Judas Banner, Zebulun, and Issachar ever walked under Dan. They always walked under the banner that they were born under. Amen. They walked, they worshipped, they warred. You with me today? They worked all under the banner that they were born under. There was no crossing over into another banner. Banner that was their banner. And they were born under that banner. Now, watch this. Today, if you go through history, you will see when man was first created. Now, I'm taking it slow enough. You ought to be able to follow me. When man was first created by God, he was the king of the universe. So from Adam, are y'all here? Say Adam. Adam, we have a time from Adam to the flood of the king. But Adam fell. But that time would have been known as the king uh, time. And then from the flood to the law, we would have had the ox time. And that time from the flood to the law was a time of, of tremendous sacrifice unto God. The next time, from the law to the dispensation of grace, the church age would have been known as the man time frame. Now, since we're in the church, we're now in the eagle time, the eagle time, the Holy Ghost. We have the eagle living inside of us. We have the Holy Ghost living inside of us. You're living in the eagle time right now, and you're going to fly away someday when the rapture of the church takes place. So I will go through that with you again. From Adam to the flood is the lion age when Adam is a king. Uh, From the flood to the law is the ox time, sacrifice. From the law until the outpouring of the Holy Ghost is the man time. And then from the outpouring of the Holy Ghost to the present is the eagle time. So you are living in the eagle time right now, getting ready to fly out of this earth. Now, when you put this all together, ultimately we're walking under the bloodstained banner of Jesus Christ. But remember this, the only way you can walk under His banner, worship under His banner, work under His banner, is if you've been born underneath it. If You, you have to be born again of the water and the Spirit, or you do not have a banner that is over you today. Say amen. amen. But if you're a born-again believer today, you're a part of God's people, a part of His camp, and you are really in this time frame under the eagle banner. But it's the blood-stained banner of Jesus Christ. Now, if you look in the scripture, you'll see in Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5, you will see there that Jesus is called something very significant. Jeremiah 23 5. Let me get it for you. It lets you know that Jesus is king, the branch, the king. Jeremiah 23 5. Turn over there if you'd like. Verse 5, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and the king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. So now we see that this one that's going to come, Jesus, the prophecy tells us that he is a branch and he is the king. Say the king, the lion. Let's go to Zechariah 3. You will see in Zechariah chapter 3 that he is a branch. Once again, verse 8. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. So now this, this time the branch is called the servant. There he is, the ox. You with me so far? In Zechariah chapter 6, if you go over there, Zechariah chapter 6, you will see once again in verse 12, And speaking to him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, and behold the man whose name, oh, look at this, the man whose name is the branch, he shall grow up out of his place and shall build the temple of the Lord. So Jeremiah 23, 5, we see that the branch is called king and in Zechariah 3 and verse 8, we find out that the branch is called the servant. In Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 12, we find out that the branch, Jesus, is called a man. Go to Isaiah two. Isaiah 4.2, In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and coming for them that are escaped of Israel. So now, the branch is called the Lord. So Jeremiah 23, 5, he's called the branch the king. Zechariah 3, verse 8, he's called the branch the servant. Zechariah six twelve, he's called the branch the man. In Isaiah 4, and verse 2, he's called the branch the Lord. Okay? So once again, it lays out what these banners were teaching when they walked through the wilderness. The lion, Judah. The man, let me go back over here. Lion, Judah, so you follow the the same sequence. Uh, The ox, Ephraim. Reuben is the man and Dan is the eagle. Matthew, lion, because Matthew is writing to the Jews, presenting Jesus as king. Mark, the servant of the Lord. The ox, writing to who? The Romans, because they would want to know about service. They would be uh, motivated by service. So, Mark says he's the perfect servant, ox. An ox is an animal of service, okay, and sacrifice. Luke presents him as the perfect man to the Greeks because the Greeks are always looking for the perfect man. They're looking for the one, you know, they were caught up in uh, the pursuit of wisdom, human wisdom. They were always participating in Olympics, trying to develop their physical bodies, You would see the Greeks always had statues of human bodies because they were obsessed with man, man's wisdom, man's physique, man's strength. So Luke writes to the Greeks and says, you've been looking for the perfect man. Jesus is the perfect man. He's the son of man. He's the last Adam. And then John comes along and he presents Jesus as God. You with me? And that's the eagle. Not, he's not just a man, Luke, but he's God come in the flesh. And an eagle can look straight in the sun and not be blinded. And when John looked at Jesus, he taught the church that Jesus was God. He looked right into his deity and wasn't blind. John is the eagle apostle. Okay? So all of these things that we're talking about in this encampment, the banners they were under, is all laid out in the scripture. In such an awesome way. Say amen. Isn't God good? All right. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Now let's go on and let's talk about the outer enclosure. Brother, are you going to be able to get that in the back? Can you get it? The video on the Mishkan? Yeah? Yes. Can you get it or not? Okay. Praise the Lord. Well, in the meantime... If he gets it, I'll show you some really awesome graphics that I have. But until then, I'm going to just go old school. This is old school. I've had these slides forever. Amen. All right. You see the tabernacle then. You see this encampment that we've just talked to you about, right? Okay. How large it is. The Lord is in the midst of that. Isn't that wonderful? So you would have had Reuben and his, his tribes over here on this side. And uh, You would have had uh, Judah and their tribes up in the front here. You would have had Ephraim and their tribes over here, etc. Hallelujah. So anyway, God is good, isn't he? To give us a type and a picture of that which is going to come. Now I read to you about the outer enclosure. What made up the outer enclosure? <clears throat> The first thing we want to look at is in the outer enclosure, there were a total of 20 pillars on this side, 20 pillars on this side, 10 pillars on the back side, and a total of 10 pillars on the front side. For a total of 60 pillars in the outer enclosure. If you study the genealogy of Jesus Christ, you will find out from Adam to Christ. There are 60 mighty men in His genealogy. You take Matthew 1 and Luke and you put that together, you will determine there are 60 men. So, this is the place of God's rest. If you take time, you'll find in the Song of Solomon that there were 60 men that carried the chariot of Solomon. 60 valiant men, 60 strong men carried the resting place of King Solomon who's a dual type. He's a type of Lord Jesus Christ and a type of the Antichrist. But in that particular passage in Song of Solomon, 60 men are carrying his, what we would call a chariot, or his bed, his litter. You know, you've seen them in the Orient, okay? So, this is laid out in the Scriptures. We have 60 men carrying the litter of Solomon, the chariot of Solomon. This is God's resting place right here, the true king. And we have 60 pillars upholding these linen hangings around this tabernacle. This would be known as the outer court, outer enclosure. You see that. Okay, the size of this outer court is 100 cubits by 100 cubits by 50 cubits. You with me? So it's elongated. 100 cubits, that's 150 feet long. Okay? Both sides, the same distance. And then you have 50 cubits across, both the back and the front. That's a total of 75 feet. So what you have is 150 feet by 75 feet. That's how large that it is. Now, the scripture identifies for us There's the gate. We'll come back to that. All right, these are the pillars. Now, as I said, there are 60 of these pillars. Their foundation is a foundation of brass, which speaks of the justice of God or the judgment of God. And these sockets right here, brass sockets, would have been buried into the earth. On the top of the socket, there would be a little hole. Okay? That this pillar right here would slot into. So like a finger going down into the socket. Right? The Bible doesn't... It's really hard to determine exactly. I I think I can read the Bible and and determined by what I read to you tonight that this pillar was made out of brass. But it's not exactly 100% sure of what it was made out of. Some people believe it was just made out of shadow. wood. But I think, based on the Word of God, as I read the flow of the Scripture, it seems to say that the foot or the socket's made out of brass for sure. And it seems to say, in the flow of the text, that this pillar is also made out of brass it speaks of judgment. Now the Bible tells us as well, I don't uh, know that this particular shape of the hook right here is exactly right or not, but in the top of this pillar there would have been a hook and the hook was for the hangings of the curtains. and the hook was made out of silver. The Hebrew word there is the vav. The Hebrew letter vav is known as a hook. So it would have been in the shape of the vav, sort of a straight, you'll look at my finger, sort of like this with a little uh, hook at the top, like that. That's the vav. Okay? Made out of silver, Hebrew letter vav. Now, where did the silver come from? where well, we talked to you last Wednesday night, that the silver came from, Exodus chapter 30, it came from the half shekel of silver that was taken up as an offering from the fighting men. 20 years and above. 20 years and above, they the fighting men contributed a half shekel of silver. And what they were saying was, when they contributed that half shekel of silver... Um, was, and by the way, that's a quarter of an ounce, they were saying that when we go to fight, we're not depending on our own strength or our own ability to fight this war. We need the covering of God in our lives. We need redemption. We need atonement in our lives to protect us when we go off to war. So take the half shekel, a quarter ounce of silver, and make the hooks and the cap uh, out of that. Because it is atonement. It, it speaks of redemption. So the half shekel was known as redemption money or atonement money. That's where they got the silver. The shape of a ball. Say amen. All right. At the top of that pillar, there would have been a silver cap. We read that in uh, chapter 38 uh, in the Bible. Now, going back real fast, if you'll look at Revelation 4 and 5, you'll find out that there were four living creatures that had the face of a lion, a man, an ox, and an eagle. So there's some more things to go with what I showed you on the camp. But all right, you with me so far? Now, this atonement money that made this silver, half shekel, a quarter ounce of silver, went into making the silver of this bean, pillar. What you don't see here, and if we have a chance to get the real awesome graphics that I have, computer graphics I have, of it, you will see bands of silver wrapped around the pillar. It's called the fillets. Really, it can be translated bands. So there were bands of silver that wrapped these pillars as well. It could be that they were held together by a, a cord running across the top. I'm not sure. The Bible's not clear on that. But it's debated whether or not there was a cord going through the top or through the middle or if there was just a band that secured these posts together that wrapped the posts. You with me so far? what What is interesting is that the half shekel, which is a quarter ounce of silver, if you go into the Gospels and you remember that Jesus needed to pay tribute. And he told Peter to go and cast, you know, a hook into the water and he would catch a fish, and in the fish's mouth there would be money. If you look in the margin of your Bible, the amount of money that was caught in the fish's mouth was a half an ounce. You know what I me? Mean? It's twice as much as the half shekel. So when Peter got that money out of the fish's mouth, it was a half an ounce. Of silver. And what it's showing us is this. Jesus said you go catch the fish. You get the silver for me and for you. So the money he got out of the fish's mouth. Was twice as much. Twice as much as this uh, atonement money. The half shekel. Because the Lord wanted him to know. That by his sacrifice. He would. He would pay the price for Peter's sin. So he said, you get that, you pay for me and you pay for yourself as well because what he's going to do is going to take care of Jesus himself will take care of Peter's sin. If you take time to study that, you will see that. Now, alright, so does everybody understand so far? Brass foot, most likely brass pillar, speaks of the judgment of God, with silver hooks and silver caps. Notice it doesn't say a crown, it says a cap. Amen. Now, when you look at the outer enclosure, everything in the outer enclosure is shodden wood or acacia wood overlaid in brass. When you get into the holy place, everything in the holy place is shodden wood overlaid with gold. When you get in the holy of holies, you have gold over shodden wood once again. You understand? Everybody get that? Okay. Let me show you some other things about these pillars. Yeah, I think you can see it here. Now, look how straight these pillars are right here in the Saturn enclosure. That would not be how they looked originally. Because the wood, the Shidim wood that's overlaid with bronze, was cut down out of the wilderness and it was twisted. And it was very hard. In fact, it's even called everlasting wood. That shadow wood twisted so hard that an insect could not eat the heart of it. It was known as incorruptible wood. It was known as everlasting wood. You could extract the gum from that at the nighttime for medicine. You understand what I'm saying? Six inch thorns on that shadow wood, all twisted, all hard on the inside. But God said, use that to make my pillars. So they went down, they went out and they cut the wood down, they cut the tree down took it away from the sap of the earth it relied on the sap of the earth it was cut down and cut in pieces and then the workers planed it they straightened its crookedness in case you don't know it every one of these pillars are a picture of you and I we used to depend upon this world for everything and then one day God cut us down put us on our knees, we repented. He picked us up. He took off the crooked edges off of our life. Maybe some of you are still crooked tonight. But He took the crookedness off of you and made you stand straight and stately with brass judgment under your feet, crowned with silver redemption by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Say Amen. And so there you are. You're standing there. Now, you're a pillar in the house of God. Notice over here, we have a cord that's coming from the top of the pillar. And it is connected to a stake, a pin, that's driven into the ground. The pin's not driven all the way into the ground. Part of it's in the ground, part of it's out of the ground. Amen? Tied to that pin is a cord. The Bible doesn't say, at least I haven't found it, what the material was of the cord. It could have been linen. It could have been goat's hair. Okay, But there was a cord that went from the stake all the way to the top of this pillar right here. So we have, when you look at this stake in the ground, you have the death of Jesus. Okay, The stakes put into the earth. But the part that's showing speaks of His resurrection. So the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, tied to the top up here redemption. Romans 5 tells us where sin did abound, grace did that much more abound. You've got the judgment down here, and you've got the grace of God at the top. And there we are standing all around each one of us, standing with judgment under our feet based on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're sin did abound, grace did that much more abound, tied to the top, we're covered in silver. Isn't God awesome? He is fantastic. I'm glad I know him. He cut me down one day, just like he did Paul. He cut Paul down on the road to Damascus, and he placed me in his outer enclosure, And then ultimately, we're also seen over here in the tabernacle. Does that mean anything to you tonight? Amen. God is good, isn't he? When these cords tied to the pins, the brass pins stuck into the ground, reaching up to the top there, the silver, tied up in silver, um, these pillars right here upheld the Bible says linen hangings. I did a little study on these linen hangings to kind of get an idea of what they were what they looked like they looked like a screen they were perforated. You know when we set up a tent like the tent we've got the wind hits that tent and it doesn't have anywhere to go and so it'll knock that tent over. But when God designed this outer enclosure It wasn't tightly woven. It was loosely woven. It was perforated. It looked like a screen so that when the wind would blow against these white linen hangings, the wind would blow right through it. And the wind would never disrupt that outer enclosure. Can you imagine the wind and the dirt blowing against that? Our tent would go down in a minute. But this thing these pillars stuck into the hole, into the sockets and tied off to the pins and to the top there. They were secure upholding holding those white linen hangings which speaks of the righteousness and holiness of God Almighty. Standing there, it, uh, I think it was Josephus said that this tabernacle never experienced the effects of wind when it blew against it. Are y'all here? So, you know, we're living in this world and the winds of false doctrine come against us. But the winds of false doctrine will not affect us. This outer enclosure keeps the animals out. Amen? Standing secure by these cords staked to the ground. Isn't God good? He Praise the Lord. Now, these linen hangings here were sewed together. So they weren't separate. You couldn't walk in between them. They were sewed together all the way around. 150 feet, 150 feet. You got 15 and 15 on the either side of the gate, and then another 50 feet of linens on the white on the back side, all sewed together. Five cubits high. Five cubits if you take a measurement of a foot and a half. Five cubits would be seven, what, seven and a half feet? Seven, seven and a half feet tall. Notice this. The white linen speaks of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the holiness of Jesus Christ in his earthly walk. It was tied off down at the bottom, secured at the bottom. It was over seven feet tall so that you couldn't climb underneath it. You couldn't climb over it. You couldn't even see over it unless you were a basketball player. But that speaks of the law of God. And the law of God bars the sinner from from approaching him. His holiness, his law says, do not come near me. And his law was too tall for man. The law wasn't given to save man. The law condemns us. It was... Too high. We have come short of the glory of God. So when you came to that linen hangings there all the way around this outer enclosure you couldn't get through it. You couldn't climb over it. You couldn't climb underneath it. There was no way to get into that tabernacle except with without going through the gates. The law of God kept us out of God's presence because we did not attain to his righteousness. Seven seven and a half feet tall, the Israelites and I and this includes the Levites as well that were around it. The Levites couldn't go underneath above it. No person could go to the tabernacle this way of the white linens. So when they came out of their tents, Song of Solomon talks about the tents of Kedar. Black is the tents of Kedar. I believe that all the tents that surrounded this outer enclosure were black. And when the Israelite walked out of that black tent which speaks of ignorance and sin, he turned his back on that black tent and he faced forth That white linen hangings. He turned his back on the world. He turned his back on sin. He turned his back on ignorance and faced that tabernacle. If he was over here on this side, the law, the linen hangings, would lead him around to the gate. He would feel, I can't get in here. I want to get in the presence of God. I can't climb under. How am I going to get in the presence of God? So he'd fill his way around. And he'd come. And he would see a gate. That gate's 20 cubits wide. 30 feet wide. This was the only way. Into the presence of God. Was through that gate. That Israelite man. Turning his back. On those dark tents. Send the world and ignorance. He's facing this tabernacle. He sees that white linen hanging, the righteousness and the purity and the holiness of God. He sees each one of these pillars, judgment under their feet, capped with silver, secure into the earth by a cord, the cord of love, God's love. He looked up, and he saw through the gates he would see a light of God's. He would see God. He would see that Shekinah glory cloud. He would see the power of God. He would see the sacrifices. He would see the altar. He turned his back on all that darkness and turned to the light of God. And those linen hangings which speaks of the absolute purity and righteousness of God led him to this beautiful gate that was in front of the tabernacle. Now, I read it to you already, so I won't read it to you. But there were three pillars. On one side, 15 cubits of white linen hangings. Three pillars on the other side, 15 cubits of white linen hangings. But in the middle, there were four other pillars that were holding up this gate 30 feet wide, 20 cubits wide. Wide, not narrow, but wide. And when that Israelite looked at that gate, he saw the colors in that gate. It was different from these white linen hangings. He saw scarlet, which speaks of the cross, the blood of Jesus. He saw in that gate the purple, which speaks of Jesus being the king, speaks of royalty. He saw in that gate blue. Jesus is the Lord of heaven. And of course it was made out of linen, which is white, which speaks of the holiness of God. That gate is Jesus. In John 10, Jesus said, I'm the door to the sheepfold. And notice it was held up by four strong pillars. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All holding up Jesus Christ to the world. Letting them know the only way to be saved, the only way to be in the presence of God is to go through that wide gate with your sacrifice. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is seen right there. When you get beyond the gate, you move into the book of Acts. Say praise the Lord. The gate leads you to the altar. Jesus died on the cross Repentance for us as well. We'll get to that in just a moment. Then the labor. Hallelujah. Say praise the Lord. So you go through the Gospels here in the outer court and you walk in the holy place and we will see it when we study it. The number of 50 is stamped all over that holy place. That speaks of the Spirit of God. So that when you get in there, in the holy place, you're in the book of Acts. When you get in the Holy of Holies, you're in the book of Revelation, the throne room, the glory of God. You start out in the Gospels, you go to the book of Acts, Holy of Holies, and into the glory of God. It's all laid out beautifully and perfectly, say praise the Lord. Now, brother, what you'll want to do is you want to get that one right there, yes. Uh, let, me, let me look at it real fast. Uh, we're not going to do that because that'll give a complete breakdown of it. So I want you to please go back to the beginning and go down there to that verse-by-verse exploration. Okay, and I'll read that. Uh, I won't read the scriptures. Okay, over here, this next. No, 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 no. You're in the right place. You see right here, this next. You see the word next on either side? There you go. Okay. Now just keep on going and I'll tell you when to stop. Okay, right there. Where, oh go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. Slider all the way over. Okay, down at the bottom, there's a place, brother, where you can you'll see the outer enclosure. In the middle. Yeah, go ahead and click that. Okay, just hang right there for me, brother. Thank you. Thank you. you did a good job, man. You got it. You got it. All right, so y'all understanding where we are now in this outer enclosure. Isn't God good? What we have here is a computer-generated graphics of, of the, um, the same outer enclosure. Um, brother, if you'll see over to the either side, go next. Not previous, but next. There you go. There you go. All right, look at this. We have it. You should make the courtyard of the Mishkan. Mishkan means tabernacle on the south side of the current courtyard. Just go through them. Let's look at the pictures. I've already read the scriptures to you. No, that's go next. There you go. Alright, next. Alright, you see those 20 pillars right there? We've already talked to you about them. Go ahead. Next. On the other side as well. And then we got the 10 on the back side. Next. Next, all right. We got three pillars on either side of the gate. Next, we got the other side, three pillars on either side of the gate, and there's the gate. Now, I'm not saying that it had the line on it. I'm not sure if it did or not. Uh, But you have all the colors in it. You have the the scarlet and the purple and the white and the blue. All speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go ahead, brother. There's the pillar I told you about. You see those bands or those fillets of silver wrapped around the pillar. At the foot there, you see the finger that would go into the brass socket. Next. There it is. It gives you the size of it. 100 cubits by 50 cubits. Next. There's the the brass or the copper pins or stakes. Next. And then it talks about the oil in the same chapter. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, say praise the Lord. All right, so that's next week, Lord willing, we'll have these better graphics for you. All right. Amen. Amen. Isn't God good? Okay, so we have the Israelite coming in here. We have them bring in sacrifice. Now, you do realize if you do this, brother, play this video, that everybody's going to be watching that. And I know you like that, but we need to wait on that, man. Thank you. You can just leave it right there. That will be good. Alright, so anyway, the Israelite has his back on the world, sin, and the devil, and he is Facing God. He's getting ready to go through the gates by way of sacrifice, by way of blood. And there's the labor, etc. Right? You understand that? Everything that was lost in the first Adam was restored in the last Adam. This is a picture of Jesus in His humiliation. He was cut down in order that we might be redeemed. This man, this Israelite, walked toward that tabernacle feeling his way around that outer enclosure until he came to the gate, knowing that he had a need to get in the presence of God and wanting to get in the presence of God, but only through that gate right there could he enter. Jesus said that he's the door, and only by him could you enter in. It was a wide gate. It was broad. It wasn't narrow. The Lord says, whosoever will, let him come. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but Leviticus 17, verses 8 and 9, tells you, that not just the Jew could go here, but it says a Gentile could go in there. The stranger could take his sacrifice and get right with God in the outer corner. It's a picture and a type of when you and I, Gentiles, would come in through Jesus Christ, the gate of the world, and find the true sacrifice for you and I. Isn't that awesome? It wasn't just for the Jewish man, it was for whosoever will. Leviticus 17 verses 8 and 9. So he walked and everything that was lost in the first Adam was, was restored in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ was prophet, priest and king. He walked the earth as a prophet. He died as a lamb. He rose as high priest. He ascended up as king. Everything that man needed as he approached the tabernacle, the presence of God, was found. And everything you need is found in Jesus Christ, the true tabernacle. You needed a prophet because when Adam fell in the garden, his mind became darkened. A prophet enlightens the minds of the people. And because we had fallen, our minds were darkened, so Jesus comes into the world as a prophet to enlighten your minds. He comes into the world as a priest because of sin that's in your life, sin that was in my life, we all needed a priest. Because sin, the guilt of sin, weighs you down the guilt of sin makes you feel bad. So God says, I'm going to give you a priest to help you help you with your feelings. You bring a sacrifice, it'll be offered to God and the guilt will be lifted and your feelings will change. He said, I'll give you a king. The king directs the wills of the people. You don't know what to do. So God says, I'll be your king. I'll direct your wills. I'll tell you what to do when you don't know what to do. He's prophet, priest, and king, but he died as a lamb. This is all taking place inside this outer enclosure. Everybody had to go by way of the altar in order to come into the presence of God. That speaks of Calvin. Aren't you thankful today that he died for you? We see him offering the sacrifices there, the priests. And then we'll get into the, the altar and the study of the altar. God is a great God. He's a He's a big God. Amen. Father, we thank You tonight for Your goodness and Your mercy and Your grace in our lives. Father, tonight we turn our backs on the dark tents. We face toward the light the power of God, the Spirit of God, and the presence of God. Lord Jesus, we thank You for being Our Savior. Thank you for shedding your blood to make a way for us into your presence. We honor you tonight for being our God. Once you got in the presence of the Lord, you were enclosed in his righteousness. You were protected from wild animals on the outside. If winds would blow against you. You would be protected from those winds. That culture, if you were a sheikh or a prince, you got ready to move your family. You would go, and pull your spear up from the ground, and begin to move. And the Lord time for them to move, he would move the clouds. They would pitch camp and leave. When the camp was set back up, if you entered into the house of the Sheikh Prince, once you got in that house, there's absolutely no harm that could come to you. You will protect it from all danger. And tonight you're not on the outside looking in. You're a child of God. You've been filled with the Holy Ghost. You've been water baptized in Jesus' name. You've come through the gate, the Lord Jesus Christ. You are standing, standing on the inside, clothed in righteousness, protected from all the animals, false doctrine. No harm can come nigh you. As long as you dwell in the secret place of the Most High God. Lift your hands and thank Him tonight. You may be going through something right now. But where sin did abound, grace did that much more abound. You take an axe to a tree, you hit that tree. That tree is wounded, it bleeds. But with time, that tree where it's been cut, that area becomes the strongest place of that tree. Tonight you may have been hit and hit really hard. You may be bleeding tonight, but with time, the spirit of the living God will heal you in that area, in that place right now where you are weak, will become the strongest part of your life in the hands of God. Sin did abound, grace did that much more abound. If you love him tonight, lift your hands. He's right here in the midst of you, that's where he desires to be. He will never become second place in our life, he must always be first place. Lord, shine brightly inside of us. We thank you for the blood. We thank you that we're a part of the camp of Christ. You are the Christ of this camp. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Just lift your hands and just love Him. Hosea 11 tells you He drew you with the cords of love. Those cords tied to redemption. Down to a stake. Partly in and partly out of the earth. His death and resurrection. He leads you with cords of love today. Will you come to him if you don't know him?